Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, it's counting. (coughs) There we go. I'm here with Dez and Jen. Hi. And, uh, uh, yeah, have you ever been to one of my podcasts before? This is my very first. I've listened to podcasts where Jen was a a person in there. Oh, weird. And... (laughs) I don't know. It's kind of cool to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Just never listen to one of the podcasts with you in it. It's always weird. I always resolve to never laugh again, like, on recording. (laughs) I don't know. You you get used to it after a while. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger mission is to get this stuff out there. Right. Right? Okay, so we watched another movie. This time uh, we watched the first... I'm going to use the word DVD, even though what we watched was streaming. So we watched the first DVD of the four-DVD set, Permaculture Skills, which is uh, Ben Falk put on a PDC, and Ben is awesome, and from what we've seen of Ben so far, he is the awesome that we all expect. We had a high bar, and he exceeded the high bar. Or at least yeah. That's, that's my opinion. I'm, so, um, and, and I think that I've got a lot of things to say about PDCs in general as we go along. But um, I supported this Kickstarter ages ago, and um, I'm—I want to say four years ago, but you were—but you found the where it says 2018, and so I'm kind of thinking like maybe that's when they just happen to put it on this thing where it's available. Um, uh, yeah, so I think it's like four years ago. Um, <clears throat> But anyway, I I wanted to see it right away, but of course all the things and you know and it's a it's a Sunday and we thought hey you know this would be kind of cool wouldn't it and so we decided to to do this and maybe over the next few Sundays we'll knock out the other three. Um, all right, I think first of all, Des, have you taken a PDC ever? Never ever. Never ever taken a PDC. All right. So this is is this the first time you've seen like you've observed a PDC? Okay. That's all right. right. And then Jen. Um, I took Alan Booker's PDC last summer. Yeah. Okay. Now Alan Booker has a style which is like, I have a lot of content, and it is, and I've got it organized in such a way that I'm going to give the information to you at three times the pace that anyone else could possibly do. Therefore. No guest instructors. Although I gotta say, for the PDC that's coming up, I believe there are two guest instructors that have gone through the Alan Booker gauntlet of hell to determine whether or not your breathing is satisfactory <laughs> for one of his courses. So of course, one of the ones that's that's doing it is Helen Atow. So if there's anybody who could hold the scientific chops up there with Alan Booker, it's it's Helen. And so Helen's looking forward to it. So Helen will be here in a few months 
to be part of the PDC. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> you were saying you're going to take it again. I might very well take it again. Um, you know, it depends on what all is happening around that time. But I felt like the first time was was just not enough. There's so much, so much in Alan's um, instruction that I think it would be valuable to take it again. Yeah. It is. It is kind of bizarre how, like, a person's normally like, I cannot take in more than, like, if I go to college, I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to sign up for 15 hours of classroom time per week, and that's the most I can do. Right. And the super overachievers might go for 18 or even 20, and it's like, so, however, what Alan did was closer to, I'm going to guess, something like 65 hours per week. Yeah, something like that sounds true. And and yet, at the end of the day, everybody was kind of like, if Alan will come out and talk for five more minutes, I don't want to miss it. Right, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got a style that is, you know... He does these weird Jedi mind tricks that, like, allow you to pay attention and focus for longer and absorb more information. It's, he's really got it down to an art. When we watched this video, there was a couple times when people were yawning that yeah. we could see in the video. Like, there they are right. yawning. I, I didn't feel yawning-esque, but do you feel anybody was ever feeling like they were going to yawn in Alan Booker's course? I I don't know. I mean, maybe, but they were probably, like, yawning while still paying very close attention to whatever Alan oh, was okay. saying. okay. All right. <laughs> Not All like right. boredom it's... yawn, like <laughs> involuntary physical response yawn, but... Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I just feel like you. Yeah. Alan has has a way. All right. So so they are calling this whole thing the whole systems design PDC. Right. And um, it's Ben Falk is is the uh, let's say the star of the show. I mean, it's his property. Right. And I got the impression that this is his second property. But yeah. He talked about like more town. Mm-hmm. You know, like over at Moortown, which I guess what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, like, that's the other property. And I get the impression that this one is much larger, because I, I think that the other property is only, like, three or four acres or something like that, right? Right. I, I, I'm not sure. But um, I also, there's this weird thing that happened where at the beginning of it, I'm like, how many people are in the class? Like, when we're watching the very first few minutes, and the the camera kind of pans or pops around to the, you know, whatever, and I'm kind of thinking, how many people are there? Is it, like, at first I thought 12, and then there was a, like, towards the end of this movie, there there was a point where you kind of got the camera view from the way back of the class, and we paused, and I counted 27. Right. So, but I kind of got the impression that they were doing something where it's like, People could kind of come and go throughout the PDC. So there's going to be a core group that are going to stick around for the whole PDC, and then the people are going to show up for just pieces of it. Yeah, it seemed... I couldn't tell if it was, like, maybe separate events, like, that they spliced together to make, you know, the video, or if it was all the same PDC and they were doing, like, multiple tracks or what. But, yeah. Right. There might be There might be something where it's like, okay, now we're going to split up. Everybody who's into... Blah 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 goes right. over there, and everybody who's into burr 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 goes over here. Yeah. And you know they may have done that because it seemed like there were a lot of times where it's like there's only seven people there. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so um, <clears throat> I'm not 
sure what exactly was happening, but okay. The thing is, is I'm really, if there's 27, mm-hmm. I'm happy. Yeah. Because there's there's been a lot of, I mean, I wish for permaculture to super duper take off. And I think that you get a lot more out of an of a in-person PDC than an online PDC. And I um, I'd like to think that all PDCs everywhere are sold out. And um, I, I wish for that to be the case. And um, I've known of a lot of PDCs that were canceled because they couldn't sell enough tickets. Yeah. So, um, all right. Moving on to the actual content, um, uh, it starts off with Ben Falk being amazing, and um, one of the things that he is doing, which um, I do would do less of, I'm not going to say I do none of it, but I would do less of, and that's swales in a cold climate. Um, and so he's he's like. He's got him. He's doing him. Yeah. Um, and and of course, you know, there's all. And that was another thing too that we kind of talked about a few times as we we're watching it. Is it's like, okay, this is a PDC. We've been studying permaculture for a while, and of course, you know, PDC has to cover certain things. Right. And um, there's a lot of stuff where we kind of feel like, well, that's the basics. So yeah, that's got to be here in the PDC. Right. Um. And so it's not going to be particularly advanced. I do feel like when Ben Falk was doing it, it was so information rich, it just felt stupid to write everything down. I mean, like, right. you know, get a transcript. Yeah. And then when it wasn't Ben Falk, some of the guest instructors were quite good. Mm-hmm. And some of them, it's like, I think that they appeal to an audience that is not me. Right, yeah. I would agree with that analysis. Um, some of the guest instructors seemed really strong. Some were like, it seemed like they weren't either teaching something I was very interested in or their style of teaching it seemed a little weak to me. But it also might be a thing where like, okay, I've heard that a lot because it's a basic permaculture, you know, principle or whatever. When I've done a lot of permaculture stuff in the past, um, I'll see a presentation and I'll think, oh, that was weak shit, man. That was oh, such a waste of my time. Only to discover that nine out of ten people thought it was the best presentation for the whole event. Right. Like it was, oh, that was dreamy. That was, that was what I needed to hear. Yeah. That, like, that changed my w- world. Right. It's so good. So I, I kind of have gotten used to thinking, like, when when I'm kind of like meh, 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 that other people are like hot diggity dog. Right. Des, you got anything? Um, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so with me, I guess my opinion was that at times I felt like I was back at school in a classroom full of people who weren't really interested in the topic. Like, they're there because they're required to be there. Because it was the curriculum, yeah. yeah. Um, and then another part of me thinks maybe I just don't know enough about PDC to make a valid judgment of how relevant this information is to me. Yeah. And then there was other times where it was really interesting. So, yeah, I just kept an open mind. I didn't really know what to expect going in, and I didn't really know... 
how to analyze the so information. Maybe, maybe part of it is super cool, mm-hmm. and then the other part is like math. Now we got to, here's the math that we have to do in order to glue together the cool pieces. Yeah, yeah. Because it is the whole system's design. And since it's Sunday, <laughs> it's, it's like I was looking forward to a day without math. I was looking forward to a day with more naps. <laughs> so maybe this was good preparation. I don't know. Okay. All right. All right. Um, Just kidding, by the way. <laughs> About the preparation. Right. I, I do want naps. You do yeah. want naps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it does seem like your Sunday generally involves <laughs> many naps. It's the day of naps. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, the pursuit of napping <laughs> perfection. All right, uh, so we saw swales in the cold climate. Right. And he had quite a few of them, a lot of hazelnuts, which I was I was hoping he started them from seed, but I'm going to guess that he was not. Um, Didn't really look like it. They just had that transplanty look, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was hoping he would say something about that, uh, about like, hey, if you start it from seed, you get to have a taproot. <laughs> you know, well, not but. for hazelnuts, really, to my knowledge, but... My impression is all nuts. Nuts are famous for the taproot, but I suppose there could be a couple of odd ducks. That's what I've heard about hazelnuts. That is not the hill I'm willing to, you know, die on in terms of the accuracy of this information, but I've heard that they don't do taproots, and so you can transplant them. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you transplant them, then whatever, whether if it did have a taproot... It wouldn't be there not. anymore, yeah, yeah, right? right, yeah. So, um... <clears throat> Uh, one thing is, is that I kind of thought they had a pretty cool open classroom. Oh, it was really cool. The timber framing was beautiful. The scenery was really beautiful. They would kind of like pan out so you could see the whole thing. It was really gorgeous. An outdoor classroom is a cool thing. There was one point, though, when I kind of thought, ew, really? Ugh. And um, that's when we, we had a different angle. We were They were outside, and they were, like, you know, doing measuring tape stuff. And uh, there were a couple of techniques I, I kind of thought, you know, it would be easier if you did it this way. But, um, you know, okay, fine, fine, fine. They didn't, they didn't listen to me. That's cool. But um, uh, it was the foundation of that structure. Concrete. Oh, the yeah. concrete, yeah, I noticed all the concrete, too, yeah. And now that you guys have done so much work without any concrete... How did that make you feel to see a beautiful structure like that on concrete? I thought it took away from the naturalness, um, but that's just concrete in general, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, same. It kind of it tarnishes the aesthetic a little bit, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I mean, they try to talk about natural and um, developing a relationship with the land and stuff like that. I mean, I kind of felt like there was a lot of stuff that I advocate that they were just saying the same thing in in different words, which I'm kind of like, that's cool. I'm glad. You know, um, uh, you know, but yeah, then there's like, okay, we're going to do this natural building with the timber framing and everything. And, and the other thing that was is that it's like it's timber framing, not roundwood timber framing. So everything is squared. It is squared. And I was kind of thinking like, man, that looks so much better if it was roundwood, man. <laughs> and uh, but okay, I get it. That's 
that you know everybody's got their own aesthetic, and I I kind of I yeah I. I I'm glad that they did that, and it is beautiful. And for an open classroom, it was really cool. And um, I, I, I was just filled with wishes. <laughs> I wish for more. Um, so I wanted to go back to the, like, swales in a cold climate thing, because I understand why you don't like that. And um, I think of swales as more like, you know, subtropics kind of thing. But... It seemed like he was focusing more on those swales. They weren't on contour swales. They were like, you know, off slightly. They were sloping. So they were for moving water across the landscape. Uh, and are, are you sure? Because he was I, trying to talk about key line stuff. Right. And he was trying to talk about swales. Swales. And I thought he made it really clear, like, okay, if we're going to do a swale, it's on contour. And, and if we're going to do some key line stuff... It's slightly off contour. Okay, maybe I missed something in the in the video because I was thinking he was talking about the swales being slightly sloped in order to move the water, which I thought like, hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk about that, but maybe I'm just wrong. Okay. I would say the definition of a swale is that it has to be on a contour. On a contour. Well, that's what I thought too, which is why I thought it was weird, but sure. Okay. Yeah. I, mm, I'm open to the idea of me being wrong. Yeah. I mean, as far as like what they said in there, right. but I kind of, you know, I kind of felt like as they were talking about uh, key line stuff being slightly off contour and the swales being on contour, I do kind of feel like they bounced back and forth so much so fast that it's like, boy, I, I kind of feel because one of the things that's being done here is you've taken a two-week PDC and compressed it into seven and a half hours. Right. And so I'm kind of thinking like, so that's like what one. 20th yeah. of the content and it's like and it, there's a lot of tight editing and so I kind of felt like maybe it was an editing glitch or maybe when they were saying it they weren't saying it quite right, right. but there was a lot of back and forth and I was kind of like yeah. boy you know somebody could get confused by this well I was kind of confused by it I yeah I think it was probably the jumping back and forth because it was a little hard to follow and so I probably just got the wrong impression of what they were saying because it did strike me as really weird. Yeah. So, and with that said, mm -hmm. um, you know, compressing a PDC by 95%, pretty cool. You get to see the best of. Yeah. And if I wasn't sitting here with the two of you, then when they started talking about things that I thought, this is something somebody who is not me will probably love. I would have skipped that part. Right. You know, and, and it's like, that's a cool thing about video. I will skip that part. Right. Um, and, I mean, about, let's just, real quick, as long as we're kind of doing a little bit that's, you know, overview, meta kind of stuff, the way that the movie is set up is not a movie exactly. It's nine parts. And so it's nine it's, and so instead of being one big movie, it's like nine YouTube videos, but you have to pay for it to see it. Right. And They're like approximately ten minutes apiece. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then the next thing is, is like, oh, okay, I guess, because YouTube has a thing for this, but it's on Vimeo. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so we'll just start, and then it'll bump into the next one, so you won't even know that it's not a movie. Nope. 
<laughs> it's like, and and it's like, and now this nine, this ten minute segment is over. Right. And it's like, okay, now you got to exit this, and you got to go find the next one and start the next one. And and so it's it's a little bit like uh, I don't know. We were all kind of kicking back, like now we're going to watch it, and then suddenly it's like dead air, and, right. and we realized we had to go and like you know do all the steps to activate the next in the series like which one was there were a couple of times like okay which one did we just watch so what's the next one yeah on the other hand if you have like a crap internet connection like I used to and your movie is always sort of like time out midway through and then you have the pain of like trying to find where you were the shorter video clips are actually kind of nice so yeah maybe someone will really love that Am I the only one that noticed the weird sound level stuff? Uh, I really noticed it in the first one. It like when it got to the outro <laughs> kind of thing, it like the volume just shot up and hurt my ears. See, I kind of feel like what happened was is that at once we got to the second one, then Dez kind of took over the mouse and he was over there like <laughs> like defending us from the yeah, decibels. He yeah, he was fucking with the volume levels to make it so that it's like it all worked out okay. So thank you, Dez. Yeah. You're very welcome, guys. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was that was where like the the music at the beginning and the end was really really loud, and then and then uh, so we had to turn it way down, and then the person would start talking, and we had to turn it way back up. Yeah. Yeah. And um, all right, <clears throat> let's see. Um, transitions twenty inches of rain per year, so kind of like what we have now. So what we have. It's 13 inches of rain per year in Missoula proper, but they're in a valley. Right. And we have our own personal mountains. And those personal mountains are part of the, uh, what they call the Rocky Mountains. And we've discovered that it's because they're made of rocks. Indeed they are. Those are some impressive, big-ass rocks. Lots of rocks. Lots of them. Yeah. And so we've got cliffs and everything. They're so rocky. But um, they are very, very large. Maybe some of the the largest in the world, uh, if you pretend like Mount Everest doesn't exist. (laughs) But they're pretty damn big. These are some big-ass mountains. And uh, the great thing about big-ass mountains is that when you've got a big-ass mountain up and then the valley below and then a big-ass mountain up, when the clouds pass by overhead, it tends to milk the clouds. So... We get about 20 inches of rain a year, yeah, and um, which is about the same as what they were talking about. So, um, and I think that they must have shot this in the spring. Things look very green and lush, which I'm thinking like smart. Right? Yeah, it looks really beautiful. I mean, if, when, when when you video stuff here during our PDC, it looks pretty nice too because <laughs> it's the right time of year. Um, we're like smart too. <laughs> um. All right. Um, the videography, I thought was really beautiful. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. yeah, these guys really paid attention to get great videography to get that you know beautiful shots and edit them in and make it seem like a a Lizzieki video. Right. I don't think anybody knows who that is. Um, also, if that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> is it I mean, the, how, how is it supposed to be pronounced? It would the it wouldn't be Lizzieki. It would be Lizzieki, but with a better Chinese accent or any Chinese accent at all. Like the Q I is Qi, not Ki. So, yeah. Okay, so Lizzieki. 
Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm sorry, I've just said it so many yeah, times. No, no, now. I'm just trying to help people know who the hell you're talking about. All right, so is... there's this gal on YouTube, and we call her Chinese Gert. Yeah. And she has these videos that are like 10 to 20 minutes long, and it's like, it starts off almost every time. It's like, I'm going to go plant seeds out in my garden mm -hmm. and then it shows the seeds you know popping up out of the ground and, and there's a little plant and, and then it's like then she goes and she harvests some when they're young and then she makes a beautiful plate of food from it right and then and then she harvests more later and then she usually goes into the woods and grabs a bamboo and maybe a couple of other things like oh and I happen to see these mushrooms and so I snag some of those and, right and then it's like well based upon all this I'm going to make this beautiful dish yeah and um, and and there's no English in it at all but she doesn't really ever talk all that much right and um and one like one episode out of five or six there'll be like some english uh subtitle stuff right and so you'll kind of get an idea what it is and what's going on a little bit better which is really kind of cool right but it's just always beautiful and they've oh, always gorgeous. got some music and and it's kind of like wow this is amazing right so and time lapses that are like months long. <laughs> like, I yeah. don't know how they even do that, but yeah. Right. Clearly, somebody's a videographer. Yeah. And, um, and it gets like, you know, 20 million views or something like yeah. that. And apparently, that's just for Americans on right. YouTube. There's like 10 times more views in China for whatever their Chinese YouTube is or whatever. So, <clears throat> okay. Um,. Boop -a -doop -a -doop -a -doop. Uh, then we went into, um, um, I'm going to say, his name is Mark. Well, wait, before we move on, oh. does anybody else have anything from the intro as far as... Yeah, I have, uh, so Ben Falk mentioned noticing the not optimal. I just, re that's what he said, and I really um, resonated with that phrase because... I often notice the not optimal, uh, at least the lazy side of me does, and so, yeah, I just thought that part was cool. Yeah, I agree. I, like, a couple of notes I had from that section was, like, that management is almost always the bottleneck, not the ability of the land to produce. So, like, even if you're on a very small piece of land, your limiting factor is almost always your own effort and attention, not, like, the absolute productivity of the land. Um, and another couple notes that I thought were really important and something I've been thinking about more and more is, like, when you do that initial disturbance during establishment, that really is like a one-time prime opportunity for particularly for seeding, like to change or to shape the plant community that's going to be on that land because you never really, he called it like a blank slate. I think that's probably an exaggeration, but like you're never going to have that opportunity to get again unless you dig it all up again to really... Um, 
really get in there and shape the seed bank in the plant community. And he also um, mentioned animals, that that was like what really made the site take off was when they started rotationally grazing um, ruminants and ducks. And they don't really get into that in the rest of the PDC. It's kind of only there in the intro. So Well, we've only watched the first. Right, right, in the first of the four DVDs. But, yeah, right. just those are my notes from the intro. Yep. Anything else, Tez? That's all I got. Okay, all right. So then we went on to this next segment that's got this Mark, I'm going to say Crawchick. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of letters in there that don't normally go together in English. <laughs> so I'm guessing. Uh, <clears throat> but the thing I liked about Mark because a lot of times I've seen people, you know, either give a permaculture presentation or, you know, a PDC presentation, and they kind of present all the information, and they come up, they present a lot of cool things, and they kind of say it in such a way as, like, I am the source of permaculture. These are my... But instead, what I thought was really cool is that... Um, uh, he was he he was throwing down the names of like this person has this philosophy and this guy has this other philosophy and so he's kind of like laying down a dozen different names of permaculture bigs and like what their philosophy is or something that they said that really resonated with him or something like that so it's and it's kind of showing that there's many schools of thought under the permaculture umbrella which I really appreciated um, and so I don't know I kind of I kind of super duper grooved on on him being so respectful to all these other people and showing what a great you know great by large what a large community the permaculture community is yeah. all right uh, the next item I had on there is oh now <clears throat> now that I have praised him highly here comes the kick in the nuts <laughs> He started talking about common sense, which is always an expression that bothers me. Yep. Because if there was any such thing as common sense, we would never have the phrase. <laughs> and so he kind of felt like permaculture is common sense. And I'm kind of thinking like, because <laughs> if it was, people would be doing permaculture all the time and we wouldn't even need the word permaculture because everybody's already doing it. Right. And so to him, it it I, I think what he meant to say was it resonated well with him and he thinks that when you tell others about it, then it resonates well with them too, which I would even argue with that. Right. But um, just, I'm, I'm sorry, you push the button. It's common sense, and now now I'm doing my thing. Wah! Ah! Right, yeah. I mean, I think almost all people, when they say common sense, mean like, I am obviously right, and everyone should agree with me. And the <laughs> fact that they don't is like, you know, somehow I'm going to erase that. And, you know, I know people who think it's common sense that, like, miracle Grow is the best thing for your garden. Right. Yeah. So so the word, the, using the phrase common sense says more about the person saying it than whoever they're talking about. Right. And what they're saying is, is like, this is the way. Yeah. And I don't know how to tell you why it's the way. So what I'm going to do is put a thick coat of the word common sense all over it. Therefore, and giving you this look 
and 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 because you don't want to take me on, you're going to be like, whatever, buddy, whatever. Right, right. Like, if I disagree with you, I don't even have common sense. So, like, yeah. maybe I should shut up. Yeah, 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 I don't want to get into it. It's like you've made it clear. You've, you've painted it with common sense, saying anybody who disagrees with me is therefore a fucking idiot. And so it's like, yeah, not going to touch it. Right. So it's like there. this is their way. This is the tool that they've learned to use to do their own little Jedi mind trick thing. It's like, I'm going to state a thing and you're not going to disagree with me because I covered it in common sense sauce. To be fair, I think a lot of what he was trying to get at was like, this is not hippie fairy dust. You know, this is not like this outlandish thing. It's like totally normal and rational. Common sense. Uh, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. These are not the droids you're looking for. Um... Okay, then there was this stuff about uh, a lot of controversy. So they showed the thing about, like, they got out their laser levels, right. you know, and um, the transom, and they were kind of talking about that. The only thing that bugged me is when Ben Falk, of all people, said that the, uh, the A-frame will give you a contour line just as well as the transom will. And I, and I kind of thought... No, 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 it won't. Because you get a little bit of... With the A-frame, it only goes like four feet. Right, right. And then it's like there's a little bit of error each time. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then it's like by the time you've done it 15 times, you're like... You could be two or three inches off accidentally. Right. So... so yeah, <clears throat> if your contour line is four feet long, it probably works just as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah maybe even better. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, yeah, it... Additive error over time, problematic. On the other hand, it's like, how many times cheaper? Like, True. Yeah. Yeah, true that. <laughs> it's uh, it's low tech. Right. I mean, there's a rock, a right. string, some sticks. And some scrap lumber, yeah. Yeah, and we're good. Yeah. We're flying here. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> um, and then there's, I've got notes in here about how they did talk about key line stuff, but it did get confusing. Um, I liked the thing that were that that was said about how tracing paper is cheap. Now, the way I've always expressed it is to say, do not get married to your maps. Right. And um, and the way that they said it was, tracing paper is cheap, which I think is saying the same thing. Yeah. Like all we need to do is to come up with something and look at what we're thinking of doing, and then we can maybe notice some some errors in our design by doing it on paper. And um, and it's like the way that it was expressed was like, okay, now I've got my new design, and then um, but it's on tracing paper. It's it's not like gilded in gold or anything. Right. And so I can wad it up and get two points as it hits the edge of the the um, can. Or you can use that to start a rocket mass heater. Mm-hmm. So what we do. <laughs> All right. Um, There was something about, like, they were starting to measure some stuff in order to be able to try and transfer, like, okay, we're going to start with the basic, what do we have, and let's get it moderately accurate onto the piece of paper that we're about to do. Right. And, uh, um, and And then the guy said, I don't remember who it was, but anyway, it doesn't matter. The, the guy said, 
Have you ever noticed that, like, when you use a tape measure, it's got a little bit of jiggle on the end? And so what I always do, so he, he proceeded to, to say, we're going to start at one foot and we're going to do the math. And, and as a software engineer, i got to tell you, most software engineers fuck up by one by doing that kind of math, edge case math. Mm. And I'm kind of thinking like, oh, you are just cruising for a bruising. But the thing is, is that that little bit of jiggle in the end of the tape measure is required. It is intentionally jiggly. You have to have that jiggle. So that when you go and you lay the tape measure down in such a way that the tab is being pulled out, like you're going to measure like how how wide is this board? And you're going to say it's five and a half inches wide. And um, well, what it did was is it pulled that it pulled a little bit. Mm-hmm. But now, like let's say you're going to do an interior dimension. Now you're going to push. But see that that little tab at the end has a thickness. And so then it's kind of like all right. So then if you're pulling, it's going to give you this slightly different number than if you're pushing because you're doing an interior measuring. And so then the little tab moves, so that way the number that you get is accurate. I have heard, like, professional carpenters and furniture makers talk about burning an inch or burning a foot as a way to get a more accurate measurement. So I assume there's a reason for that. Um, but It is a school of thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I suppose it depends on how you're measuring, too. Like, if you're measuring against a wall or into a corner, or if you can, like, pull the tape measure past the thing and, like, line it up precisely. But, yeah, I I don't... My carpentry is not good enough for the width of the tab to matter much yet. (laughs) All right. So, um, I I do think that um, uh, there was some interesting stuff there. Um, There were a couple of techniques that I would have liked to have inserted uh, as they were going. But, you know, and here and there throughout the movie... Um, including this part where they were measuring stuff. Right. It's like, here, guy, go hold this piece of measuring tape over there, and we will measure this. And it's like, is that guy Zach Weiss? Did I did I just see Zach Weiss? <laughs> now, I think I remember Zach telling me that, that he was there during the filming of it. Yeah, maybe for, so. For part of it, anyway. And so it could have been him. But uh, so far, we haven't gotten a clear shot of him. Right. Like, yeah, I think that's Zach Weiss right there. So I'm not super sure that we have yet made it clear what the section we were talking about actually was for. So it was like for establishing a base map to draw your design on. Mm -hmm. And like the two methods they covered were extension with offsets and triangulation. So it's like just measuring physical things like this is the corner of the barn, this is that apple tree, blah, 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 and getting them onto paper in a way that's to scale. That's what we're talking about. Right. And I didn't understand that that's what they were trying to do until they went back inside and sat down on the piece of paper and tried to transfer what they measured right. onto the paper. And it's like, oh, that's why they were doing it that way. that way. I will say, in my PDC experience, like, trying to get the physical shape of the base map was, like, the most painful part of the design process. It's like oh, God, there's this chunk of land, and, like, can I just draw sort of a two-year-old sketch and, like, a little cartoon house or something? It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that part is hard. Yeah. 
the last bit, so there were some presentations where it was the stuff where I felt like other people would love more than me, um, and uh, I didn't make any notes. The last one was by the Edible Acres guy. Um, and I don't know, do you guys have anything to talk about before the Edible Acres guy? Um, yeah, I mean... So they covered the ethics and principles, which is done in every PDC, and I didn't make any notes for that. Um, then they talked about, like, some observation skills for your zone four and five, like how you're going to be interacting with those spaces. The one note that I made from that section, which I thought was somewhat interesting, was the idea of these, like, megafauna ghosts. So, like, that those ecosystems have co-involved with animals that are now extinct um, or other plants that are now extinct, for that matter. But the megafauna are, well, fauna, animals. Um, and so there are a lot of, like, nutrient dispersal pathways, seed dispersal pathways, disturbance patterns that are just not present in those landscapes naturally anymore and so they were talking about considering when you are disturbing your zone four or five or interacting with it um thinking about like what patterns of interaction are now absent and attempting to replicate those which i thought was kind of interesting okay you got anything des I liked the shirt he was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's all you have to say about that? Well, so I drew a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can remember. Good, good, Des. And, good. And, and, like, maybe one day make a shirt like that <laughs> when, when I'm building my homestead. <laughs> cool. Okay. It was a great shirt. Yeah, I'm, it was a great shirt. I'm I'm glad that this movie was so fulfilling for you. <laughs> okay, the the Edible Acres guy, um Sean Dimbrowski. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't remember his name. I always just think of him as the Edible I mean, I like his channel. And clearly this was years ago. Um so like when I watch his channel now, then I don't know, he's way 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 ahead of what we just observed. And uh, which is cool, um, and uh, I, I don't. I kind of felt like he's he is seeking gertitude, but he's going about it a completely different path than I would imagine Gert would, um, and like his values are different from mine. Um, and I, I tried to work with him once on something, and he made it clear he didn't want to work with me. Okay. And it's like, that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of people who do not want to work with me. And so I get it, no problem. But uh, And I still watch his channel, um, <clears throat> and I wish him the best. Now, there was one thing that he said where it kind of pushed a button. Now, there was a lot of stuff that he said where it's kind of like, I'm kind of thinking, what? Uh, so... I don't know. He has values that I don't know. I'm, it's not what I'm, not what I'm after. What would be an example of that? Because I actually thought his values seemed pretty in line with ours, for lack of a more a better way to put it. He is a big fan of bartering. Like oh, he was yeah. kind of try, like talking about how bartering is worth so much more than a cash transaction. Like right. bartering is worth maybe five times more to him. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought, 
Yeah, but you know, if you do cash, it's it's so much faster. I mean, I, yeah. there's some things where I can do bartering, but I kind of feel like bartering oftentimes ends up not working out, and it almost universally doesn't work out in a way where I get screwed. Right, right. And so it's like I'm just kind of a little wore out from that. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. Um, and whereas cash can be like transaction complete now, moving on. Yeah, and fair. So there was a little bit of that. Um, materials that he uses, he still seems to be okay with plastics and stuff. Mm, and, right. Uh, so there were some things where, I mean, he's clearly trying to get better, but it kind of seemed like um, when he talks about some of the stuff that he he's made or he's done or what he's into or whatever, I, I kind of feel like some of those things are things where I would have um, preferred something with less plastic. Right. He's more about, like, reusing stuff from the waste stream, whereas you're more about, like, the natural materials and non-toxic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. So difference of values. Right. And, um... And and it's like... There was this thing where it's like he's living with his parents, and then... And then he's going to not live with his parents, and he's going to go live with his girlfriend... And I don't know, that just seemed odd to me. It's like, that's okay, that's cool. I'm glad he's getting it to work out. But at the same time, I just kind of know of a lot of permies that have, you know, done something with their parents or with a girlfriend or whatever else. And then, like, because permaculture is such a perennial system. Right. That it's kind of like, if that relationship goes south, then you got to kind of start over again. And uh, so I, I mean, there are some permies that are well known where, uh, like, they're regional leaders. And it's like, I'm not sure if they've ever been at a property for more than three years. Right. Like, it's, they go in there, they get things started, and they, things are going pretty good. And then the relationship with the property owner goes south. Right. Whether it's a girlfriend or an acquaintance or whatever, and then they have to move on. And it's like, so these people have like a dozen different cool projects that they've started, but they're not currently there because they had to move on. And so, I don't know. So, all I'm saying is a difference of value sets. And right. I, and I, I, want him to have something where the permanence seems more permanent. permanent. I mean, on the other hand, I think, like, I don't know if we, whoever we is, can solve the problem of, like, multi-generational projects and properties that don't end in, you know, blood or tears or both, then it's even more permanent. Because um, now it's kind of like you spend your whole life building something amazing and then your kids inherit it and, like, sell it to Monsanto or, you know, yeah. God knows what. Harvest all the trees to fund their vacation to Aruba. I don't know. But... So that's depressing. And I don't know, like, finding a way to make, like, long-term, multi-generational stuff work would be really cool. I remember visiting a property once where they had these amazing grape arbors. And there was just, they were just 
covered in grapes, just oceans of grapes. And then there's all these fruit trees, and there's just all this cool stuff all over the place. And so I said, who is the gardener? Oh. Turns out no one's been there longer than two years. And it's like, this stuff was here when we got here. Weird. Yeah. And it's like, uh, um, so I'm kind of thinking, like, there's so many perennial systems there. Somebody put some love into a romantic relationship with nature, and this was created. And then these people, they would. They would spend all kinds of time outside, kind of like just enjoying it all. I mean, a lot of the food got wasted, but a lot of it they did eat. Yeah. And and it just seemed like this is a destination because they didn't know how to care for it. Therefore, they didn't care for it. And it's like, but it continued to grow and put up food. And I'm kind of thinking like, that seems like permaculture to me. Yeah. I mean, for that matter, like, if food isn't getting wasted, I think you probably don't have like a mature perennial polyculture and by wasted I mean not being eaten by humans right yeah like if you can pick all your fruit you probably don't have like a mature food forest or something yeah so the edible acres guy giving his presentation <clears throat> pushed one of my buttons and um, and it didn't even make and we were trying to talk about it later like what does that mean what is it that can't that doesn't even make sense and so he's like okay what I would do is I went to this house and helped these people and then they had all these tools and stuff that they didn't want anymore because they're all broken. And I'm like, I could totally repair those and stuff. So he got like a truckload of tools and he would take it home and then he, in order to get them to work again, he would bleach them that did seem to be what he said he mentioned a couple other things like repair or oil or something but he definitely said bleach and it seemed to be in reference to the tools although maybe he was thinking about something else sheets I don't know like I found these rusty scalpels <laughs> and I was uh, I'm going to do some surgery on myself but of course before I do that I was thinking other permies would boil, but I'm gonna bleach it. I was thinking more like, and they had all these old T-shirts or something, and he bleached those, and because it just doesn't seem to make sense in regard to tools, but who knows? So, um, Jen, you've been here well over a year. Yeah. And Des, you've been here like four months. Correct. Okay. We have no bleach on this property at all. How have you suffered by this? Well, we have no Clorox bleach. Uh, We use like a citric acid um, and peroxide-based laundry, like non-Clorox natural bleach. Um, I I haven't suffered is the short answer. Okay. But Um, I didn't have bleach at home either. I mean, I I know that the, um, the laundry detergent that we use is like plant food. Well, so the Oasis stuff is the Molly Suds, which was the stuff Jocelyn stocked and I now stock to, like, well, to bleach things, is, like, citric acid. It's, like, lemon and probably peroxide, some hyperoxygenated stuff. Okay. And it's, like, a natural bleach. So, I mean, bleach doesn't have to mean Clorox bleach. It means anything that gets things whiter. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. So I'm thinking, like, chlorine, a right. chlorine-based because it's like the idea of having chlorine here 
right. really deeply upsets me. Yeah, we and don't have any chlorine. We have none. Yeah. And and so um, <clears throat> I guess the thing I was trying to say was is like how have you suffered? Because a lot of people, the idea of living without bleach is unthinkable. That they use it for everything. Oh yeah, no, I've never really used it. And bleach. and I and I'm just wanted to say like we don't use chlorine bleach for for anything. So so Des, how have you suffered without bleach? Without bleach, I have not suffered. <laughs> in fact, ever since I was a kid, I can remember wondering why bleach existed because of the warning label. Yeah. And I was like, isn't there anything else that can do the job of bleach? But. I mean, I never really used bleach in my life, and I don't really miss it now that I'm here. And I'm great. I'm grateful that we don't have it here. Yeah, and we don't have to smell it. Right. I think I can't remember where I saw this review. Maybe it was at Goodreads.com. So I've been reading my the reviews of my book. Oh no! I know. I know. <laughs> I, well, I think my book is really fucking awesome. And and it is getting really good reviews. In fact, at Goodreads, it's like extremely has a really high, cool. like four point two, which yeah. for Goodreads is it's like pretty good. Yeah, yeah. kind of unheard of. Right. I mean, like like one book out of a hundred has a four point two or higher. Mm. So I'm like, wow, we're doing really good. And it's got like I don't know, 150 reviews or something. But one of the reviews was one star. And it talked about what a dumb fuck I was in so many ways. But clearly the guy has actually read the book because he said something about he complains about um, uh, household cleaning products because when he was a kid, he got a bloody nose in the aisle, the oh, grocery store right, aisle with right, cleaning right. products. Yeah. And it's like he read the book because I did. Yeah. I That's totally... I would go, if I went into the aisle, I would get a bloody nose, like, yeah. about half the time. Right. And uh, just from the smell of it, I guess. Mm. And But I, you got to kind of think, like, I mean, surely anybody who goes into that aisle smells that smell. Yeah. No, I can't. I feel really sick when I go into the detergents and cleaners aisle. I mean, presumably there are some people out there who think, like, mmm, artificial freesia. It smells so good, but not me. <laughs> how, how do you do in that aisle, Des? I avoid that aisle. <laughs> yeah, it's... I, 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 and so now, as an adult, I don't, I don't go into that aisle, and I, everything that I get for cleaning is totally different. Right. And, uh, I mean, like, the citric acid, I mean, it's edible. In fact, right. I've done this, like, when I work with it, I always kind of wet my finger and stick it in there. And <laughs> You know, it's, it's like, it tastes like the sour gummy worms, you know? Right, it does mm -hmm. taste kind of like sour gummy worms. And it says right on the package that this is food grade citric yeah. acid, and you can use it in your organic um, recipes, yeah. you know, kind Which of. Which is thing. good, because people keep leaving it in the damn tea kettle when they're descaling <laughs> it. It's like a beautiful kettle full of water <laughs> to make your tea with, but it's secretly full of citric acid. And, and it's like, the other thing is, we used to use, like, a little bit of vinegar in there, but yeah. the citric acid works, like, ten times better. It works a lot better, and it's equally tasty, I suppose, as the vinegar when you make tea with it, so... Citric acid tastes ten times better than vinegar. Neither <laughs> are good in tea. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I don't know. You can make a, a citrusy tea. Sure. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Hey, that's all my notes for this movie. What do you? What else you guys got? Uh, I think that's most of my good ones. There was like something I was confused about, which is when they talked about tilling in wood chips. Did you catch that part? 
They so so yeah, I did, and I just kind of like okay. So if you till in wood chips, it's going to cause nitrogen mobilization. Right. And I think that the point that they're trying to say is is that if you had some spots on your property where you tilled in the, the wood chips, not everywhere, not not homogenized, but just in a couple spots, then you would have spots where you would have powerful nitrogen immobilization, and therefore things that need a lot of nitrogen would not do well there. Fair. Yeah. And so there's only a few plants that provide enough of enough nitrogen for themselves that they would do okay there. Right, because they mentioned it as a method of suppressing grass. So right. it's like that makes sense. Grass yeah. is a nitrogen pig, exactly. so it would totally suppress grass. Right. And and so, like, I've seen people do things where they would have, like, a three- to six-foot-wide path around their garden to try to keep grass out of their garden and uh so i could understand like you know trying to do something where you would make a wood chip path right and then in time other things would grow in that wood chip path but grass Would would not it just seemed like they were trying to talk about suppressing grass around the fruit trees and i kind of thought like i feel like the fruit trees would not love those conditions yeah. either. But the other thing that they said is, is like uh, it would be better um, to make a pile of wood chips, and that's that's what the guys talking about, like the dinosaurs or whatever, right? right. The, the macrofauna, megafauna, megafauna, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and they were saying like, what we do now is like we go and we spread manure over the entire field evenly, right? And so he was trying to say that with the uh, um, megafauna, you would end up with these mountains of shit. Yeah, plop it all in one spot, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And then, you know, our ecosystem has a way of dealing with that and working with that. And it's like, so there'd probably be some stuff that'd be like, near this little mountain is good living. Right. And uh, so you'd kind of create diversity in your soil. Yeah. And then when he said it to do it with wood chips, I kind of thought, with a log, maybe. Yeah. But with wood chips, it's like... You might come back 30 years later and it still looks like a pile of wood chips. Like the stuff around the edges will have kind right. of turned into soil, but the stuff in the middle and the top would still be wood chips. Right. I I also got a strange feeling when he said that because I was totally with him on the manure thing, but like the wood chip part, I mean, I suppose it depends on where you are too, but this is like kind of cold climate, like short season, relatively dry. Like those wood chips seem like they're going to be there. Forever. Now, the next problem with um, Poop Mountain yeah. that he was describing as like an element of diversity, right. which it would be. Yeah. Boy, you know, if if you're getting your drinking water out of a well. Right, mm, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like poop Kool-Aid, man. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite. I mean, I, yeah, I suppose it depends on how close is your well and is this water running off and how, how efficient are those, like, dispersal methods and how big is this mountain of shit and is it yeah. being trampled in by ruminants or not. Um, so there's a, you know, it depends. But, yeah, I think in general, leaving large exposed mountains of shit for any given period of time is not, like, ideal management. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like 
if you have really great soil, it's a, it's a great soil indicator is if there's a cow pie lands out there. It's like, and then the cow pie is gone two weeks later. Yeah. It's like, you are awesome at managing your soil. Totally. And, uh, mm-hmm. but if you go out there and there's a cow pie, that same, you find cow pies that are like clearly. Fossilized. Like, <laughs> like you're thinking like, there hasn't been any cows here for four years, yeah. and that's clearly a cow pie. Yeah. It's like, okay, this, this soil's kind of dead. Yeah. 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 It's a sad soil. Yeah. Yep. I would agree with that. <clears throat> so, all right. Do you guys have any other notes? There's no... Jen? No, uh, there was one quote I wrote down um, from earlier in the presentation that was talking about we are nature working. Oh, I wrote that too. Yeah, which I thought was an interesting quote that we're not like this idea that it's not that we need to reduce our impact. It's that we need to like magnify our positive impact and work as like a keystone species in our environments rather than like trying not to touch the environment because we'll ruin it. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of this weird sentiment about um, the best thing you could do for the planet is die and don't have like and don't have children. Right. And uh, I'm kind of thinking like, no, I I think we could do better. I think I think in fact, kind of like the lines of what they're talking about. Like, I think that our function is to do better. Mm-hmm. And um, when we distance ourselves from that in whatever way, I, I think it it feels off. At least it does for me, and maybe that I kind of like to think that hey, if people live in the city and they're having a great time, I want them to have a great time. I want them to live the most luxuriant life they can. Right. And at the same time, I kind of feel like I like <clears throat> living where I live, and I like doing what I do, and I kind of feel like I'll try to mitigate the issues for those people. Right. Um. In my own way, of course. Um, but I, and I, I, so I agree with that, but I kind of think of it differently. Right. Like, right. we, we, like, when we garden, then we are fulfilling our natural programming mm-hmm. to be in a romantic relationship with nature. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I think nature is very lonely without us and at the same time i think nature suffers deeply under the boots of some people that are not permies let's say and um uh, i'd I'd, and i i think we need more i'm going to say demonstration more um something more 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 examples more permies being keen on developing this romantic relationship with nature to have a a beautiful wild garden um kind of a thing so i wish for that and it's i get to wish for whatever i want to wish for yeah well there's the whole um i remember like this was many years ago when I was much, you know, younger and dumber, but, like, I remember being surprised by the whole concept of, like, a negative carbon footprint. Like, it kind of seemed like the ultimate goal was that you could get to zero, right? Right. And have no impact. Like, there was not even this concept of that you could sequester carbon or, like, you know, make things better than nothing. (laughs) Um, 
through, you know, through gardening or through whatever method. I mean, even by sharing it with other people and then you sort of, it's like a pyramid scheme where you get credit for their reduced carbon footprint as well. Um, but I just think that's cool and like something that is kind of getting lost from the conversation these days. Like, like you said, the whole idea that the best thing we can do is just like die. Um, is is really prevalent i think in like i don't know kind of your like your younger environmentalist crowd who are like in university right now or in high school and it's a pretty depressing paradigm like if you love nature and you think that the best thing you can do for it is to just like off yourself that's awful all right just to be clear jen what do you think is the best thing you can do garden grow your own food i think is the first big step yeah for me you're gonna say rocket mass heaters probably but no yeah i mean for me it's just food is key like that's the thing that gets most people into this stuff and i think it's like a really intimate really connected way to be involved with nature and everything kind of branches out from there Des, what do you think is the best thing you can do? You know, something that's better than offing yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, kind of tying, it ties back to that phrase, we are nature working, which reminded me um, not only of what you were saying about a romantic relationship with nature. Uh, I think Step Holzer said it in two words, everything gardens. Mm. And I just love the simplicity of that phrase, and it makes me feel like... Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to garden. I want to be part of the garden. Yeah. See, this is this is where I love the word permaculture because I feel like what's the best thing I could do is it, it is permaculture. Right, right. I mean, yeah. I feel like there's a whole bunch of things and I'm excited to do them all. Yeah. And I kind of feel like we're using citric acid as a cleaner instead of bleach. Yeah. It's on the list. Right. You know, right. and I think that that list has like 500 little things on it. Yeah. And um, I feel like my life is a hundred times more magnificent on the permaculture life than when I observe people living on what would be called normal in the United States. Agreed. I mean, I I find that a lot of the things that I observe, um, I feel sad for those guys. And and when I hear about people wanting to commit suicide, they're having nothing to do with the environment. Right, right. Then I just kind of feel like I want to tell them about permaculture because then, I don't know, for me, it's fulfilling. And it's like, try, even just trying. I mean, we're not perfect. Right. And we still have plastic in our lives. But, I mean, we just watched the movie on a plastic LCD screen. Right, right. You know, so we, but it's like, how can we get better? And we're like, trying to figure it out and we are getting better all the time we think of things new this whole rich but gardening is probably half of it yeah and having a big polyculture garden on hugo culture and having more food than we could possibly eat that's an enormous part of it and um uh but i also kind of feel like the thing where we rarely ever go into town yeah but but at the same time, we've never said don't go into town because of the environment. Right, right, um, right. Everybody, gets, everybody goes into town whenever they feel like it. But people just don't feel like it. I mean, 
we do stuff here, like our half-assed holidays or um, the food that people make and share here and stuff like that. There's so much happening here right. with the people that are here. It's kind of like, well, you could hang out with these bozos or you could go into town and do do a thing. And it's like, what would you do? What would you do? Would you go? Would you shop? I mean, right. for what? Yeah. And like, you could go bowling, I guess. <laughs> I I mean, nothing sounds good to me. Right. Staying here sounds way better. Staying here and doing stuff with our people here just sounds like twenty times better. So the fact that we can go to town as much as we want, we just choose not to. We kind of end up in a space where. We're automatically using hardly any fuel. Right. And and then on top of that, um, usually it's like somebody's going to go into town and it's like, oh, can you pick up a burr burr for me? You know, it's like, all right, so somebody goes into town maybe once every week or two and they knock out five or six little errands. Yeah. And uh, so we have one emissary going into town, (laughs) you know, rarely. It's like, boy, we are using a lot less fuel than the average person does. Right. We're making a difference. We're doing, I mean, that's when when they're thinking, like, the best thing you could do is die. It's because you have that fucking commuter job. Right. And then you drive to the grocery store three times a week, and you drive to all the restaurants, and you drive to all these other things, and then the way that you live your life is so dependent upon all that infrastructure, and it's like, so it has a big-ass footprint. Right. Um, and then you're heating yourself, and wherever you go is heated, et cetera, and it's like, that's got a big-ass carbon footprint to that. And it's kind of like, you know, and then of course, yeah, rocket mass heaters. We heat with a rocket mass heater, and I—it's like uh, I say a lot of stuff about rocket mass heaters all the time. Am I exaggerating? No, no. I—I I think in terms of, particularly in terms of carbon footprint specifically, that probably is the biggest impact like a quote-unquote normal person could make in terms of their carbon footprint is just switch into a rocket mass heater. I mean, the carbon footprint that a rocket mass heater puts into the atmosphere is almost identical to the amount of carbon you're looking at in that firewood that's about to go into the rocket mass heater. Right. However much you use, like if you put a ton in, your carbon footprint for heat that year is about one ton. Yeah. But for this one, it's more like half a ton. Yeah. And that's for heating, you know, a community full of people. Yeah. 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 And then, um, uh, so imagine that if we had electric heat, that would be about 29 tons yeah. to heat this to heat this space right. that we're in. And so it's like, wow, we use half a ton instead of 29 tons. So, all right, I'm glad that we kind of bumped into this, this yeah. whole thing about, like, what's the best thing you can do for the environment? And... Um, I'm glad that I can say the word permaculture because for years it was like this list of things and I want to say all the things and now all those things kind of fit into one convenient quick word and that's why I love this word so much. It's great. Yeah. And the rocket mass, permaculture is great. I've been here four months. Uh, I'm fairly newly exposed to permaculture and the rocket mass heater and I could say... For sure, both of those things are really awesome. 
I'm just so impressed by the rocket mass heater. I light it up whenever I light it up in the morning. You light it up most days. Like, I'll bet 85% of the time it's fired up, it's you. Yeah, I I like to get up and uh, let people in the community wake up to a warm room. I think it's kind of my way of contributing. Um, It's kind of small, but I, I like to do that. And then, yeah, man, I just agree. Permaculture is awesome. <laughs> it sounds cheesy, but I, I really, I'm a cheese ball right now. <laughs> All right. Anything else? That's it. That's okay. It. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about how cool um, uh, ben, Falk ben Falk is. I was about to say Ben Law. It's like, no, that's not right. It's Ben Falk. And it's like, but Bin Law's cool too. Don't get me wrong. But it's Bin Falk and homesteading and permaculture all, all the time. time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.